Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. And hey, before, before we dive in, I just had on my heart this morning to, to really look around the room and just say, well done. June long weekend, freezing cold, and you guys made the decision to say, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna come into a shed to join with brothers and sisters and worship the Lord. And I, I, I'm not saying that in a facetiously. Genuinely, well done. It's putting, it's putting the right foundation in the right place. It's putting your feet on the rock and saying, yep, it's freezing cold. It's a June long weekend. I could go camping. I'm not mocking or, or disparaging going camping on a long weekend. There's literally hundreds of people from our church who are camping right now. God bless you. But there is something significant about making a decision to say, I'm coming here. And I wanna say, well done. Well done. And I am just believe God has a word for us this morning. And I am believing. I want you to know right now we're praying. We're having a ministry time. God's been always stirring my heart. We're gonna have ministry time. So prepare your heart because I'm believing that the Lord wants to touch some lives. And I'm really believing today in ministry time that God's gonna call some people to come and stand in the gap. So what I mean by that is this, the prayer might not specifically be for you in your current context, but for you as the conduit in for someone else in your family, friends. You're like, these people, these people, these people, I'm gonna stand in the gap and let's pray together. And I'm believing for really a powerful move of God in our midst this morning as we come to the Word. Acts chapter nine. Uh, I'm Dave, by the way, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, And it's my privilege to be able to lead this church with the incredible team that God is building. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 43. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. It says this, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints, everyone say saints, who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralysed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. That's a verse for a teenager. (laughs) And some adults. Maybe even me. Arise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. I love that. Immediately he rose. Watch this. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Wow. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated mean Dorcas. Not a name that's high on the, uh, the current you know, choices for parents naming their children these days. But it means, uh, it means gazelle, or it means the idea of, of graciousness or mercy. So it's, it's a name in our culture, we go Dorcas, <laughs> but it's a beautiful name which speaks to her nature. It says she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there. So word has gone out about what's happened to Aeneas and that Peter's hanging around. So Joppa's not that far from Lydda. It's probably about 30 kilometres away. And so hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. When I was studying this this week, you know how sometimes your mind plays tricks on you? And I was was like, I read that initially that all the windows stood beside, I'm like, what does windows stand? And I was like, oh, widows, okay. But they all, stood, they all stood 
beside uh, showing the tun- the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise, get up. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. As I was prepping this message, I have to confess that I, I took an inordinate amount of time landing on a title. Far too much. I thought of calling this sermon Resurrection Life. I thought of calling this sermon Make Your Bed. But in the end, I want to speak to you guys today on the title for the beggars, the broken, and the lost. For the beggar, the broken, and the lost. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to your people. We just take a moment and we say, come Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are already ministering to people through worship and testimonies of all that you are doing. Come Holy Spirit. Have your way. Take the word. Change our lives. Make us more like you. Set hearts ablaze today. Stretch out your hand to heal and transform and truly bring people from death to life, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen, amen. Do I have any morning people here? Any morning people in the house? Do I have any night people here? People who love to... Do I have any morning people who are married to night people? Anyone? I, I am very much a morning person. I love to get up early and love to get on with my day. My beloved wife is very much a night person. She gets her energy later on at night, loves to have her own downtime and space in that place. So if you're someone who's a morning person and you're married to a night person, or if you're a night person and you're married to a morning person, you know that there's just innately this degree of conflict because the night person just wants to rest in the morning and recover ready for the day and the morning person just wants to get up early and get on with the day. And so in order for the morning person to get up, you have to get up very, very quietly or else it can cause offence, which can lead to discussions about the nature of waking up early. Uh, and so I have my, my alarm set up on my phone and it goes off very gently to start with, you know, and I've got to really quickly act because if it takes too long, it gets louder and louder. Who's with me right now? So you've got to act quickly. And so the phone goes off and I'm, I'm, I just sort of roll over and I'm like, bang, trying to like turn it off. But I recently, I got a new phone, which isn't a brand new phone, it's, it's a phone that someone's graciously given me because I had a really, really old phone and they got sick and tired of the fact that I had such a bad phone that it wasn't really working. And the new phone, which is, which is this one, uh, has an interesting feature on it, right, where you, I don't know if you've got one of the, I don't even know what it is, but it's got the little torch there. <laughs> and when your alarm goes off, it comes up with a signal there. So it's like, stop, torch. <laughs> and so the other morning, I, uh, the alarm was going off and I've quickly like picked, I'm trying to hit stop, but it wasn't, it wasn't stopping. So I like lean over, grab the phone, I'm trying to hit stop. And I, instead of hitting stop, <laughs> I hit the torch. And I was kind of like bumbling about and I'm in this position and I hit the torch and Joe's lying here and the light went like, bam, right into her eyes. 
And so she's just like, what are you doing? I'm fumbling around, I'm trying to turn the light off. And she's clearly awake at this moment. I'm quickly now trying to get out of bed and praying that she'll be able to go back to sleep and prepare for her day. But it was an abrupt and quite a rude awakening, right? And it reminded me of the good old days as a teenager when uh, my parents had a particular strategy that didn't involve a torch, but it did involve blinds or a curtain. Anyone been there? The wake up strategy. See, there's a couple of ways you can wake someone up. You can wake someone up by, by walking into the room very gently and put a hand on the shoulder and just be like, morning, mate. Morning, mate. Time to wake up. You know, you, you can do that or you can walk into the room and you, especially in summer, and you can go up to the blinds, you can be like, arise and shine. Yes, anyone with me? Now, depending on the, depending on the day, depending uh, on the mood, my parents particularly would often walk in, especially my dad would walk in if I'd slept in and he'd often do the, the blind situation, uh, especially if I'd already ignored the gentle situation of, come on, mate, time to get up. The blinds would go. And depending on the mood, and it, it was either arise and shine or it was blinds open. It was get up and make your bed and get on with the day. And the thing about that, the thing about when the light comes into the room, because when, you, when it's dark and you just get the gentle rub on the shoulder, it's easy just to sort of roll over and go back to sleep. But when the light is shone on your face or when the light like goes and just enters a room, it does something to us. It, it forces us awake. Are you with me? There's something about the light that just, the, that comes in when we're slumbering and sleeping and just goes bam and we're like, whoa, all right, I've got no choice. Even if I try and roll over and go back to bed, when that light is shining, it's impossible just to go back to sleep. You are awake and you might as well just step into that new day and get on with everything that lies before you. It's true in the physical and it's true in the spiritual church. This is what we've seen in the book of Acts over and over again is the light of the gospel shining into the darkness. And we're seeing people coming awake, people becoming awake to righteousness, people becoming awake to the call of God, people going from this, this, from literally from death to life, from slumbering to being awake to the reality that not only is there a God, is there a a higher power, but there is a God who has come to redeem and save a sleeping and dying humanity and His name is Jesus. And we've seen it all through the book of the book of Acts, this light piercing the darkness. We saw it last week at the beginning of chapter nine in a very literal sense, as Peter, as Paul, sorry, Saul, is walking along and he's murdering the church, he's persecuting the church, he's violently pressing against the church. He's a learned man. He's a Jewish man. He's a Pharisee. He thinks he's doing God's will and God's work. And as this glorious day comes upon us, he's blinded to the truth of who Jesus is, walking along the Damascus road and God literally just goes to the blinds of heaven. And the light of the Gospel confronts him in such a powerful way that it knocks him to the ground. And immediately he's like, who are you? He's like, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up and go. And so he goes and then he's prayed for and the scales fall from his eyes and everything, all of his learning suddenly makes sense because he goes from persecuting the church to proclaiming the good news of the gospel. It immediately, it immediately clicks. He's been, he's arisen to the truth because the light has entered in. 
And as we continue chapter nine, we see the exact same thing happening again. Not so much in the blinding literal sense, but this is a picture of the light of the gospel encountering people trapped in darkness and waking them to a new day of life in Jesus and purpose in His kingdom. And there's two stories that we see. There's the story of Aeneas and the story of Tabitha or Dorcas. And the story has segued, the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters of Acts are primarily about Peter. We had that little Saul to Paul segue at the beginning of nine, but it shifts straight back to Peter as he continues his ministry. And what we've got to understand here is Peter's one of the key leaders of the early church. So Peter's on a ministry tour. He's gone out from Jerusalem and he's gone into the surrounding areas to bring encouragement, to bring courage, to bring a, a, a sense of hope, to, to bring light to the church. Remember, the churches are out here because there was persecution in Jerusalem. So they've scattered and they're doing the work of God and God's moving. So Peter is like, come to be like, hey, how can I encourage you guys? And he arrives at Lydda. And what we're gonna do here is we're gonna see two stories side by side. And the two stories actually share very, very similar elements. There is, there's, there's the same message that's, that's imprinted at the heart of both of these stories that's relevant for us. There's a learning that's gonna come. So let's look at the two stories and then we'll jump over and look at the learning. So the first one is Aeneas. So Peter comes along, comes to Lydda, and it says that he goes to visit the what? The saints at Lydda. Who are the saints? It's the church. Friends, you've got to realise that if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. There has been a disservice that has done over a, a, a couple of thousand years of Christianity where we have elevated some people from within the church to sainthood and not recognise the sainthood of every single believer. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. You have gone from sinner to saint. You are sanctified, you are set apart, you are called by God. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven. There is Jesus and there is everybody else. We are His bride. We are brothers and sisters side by side. Now we honour one another, we recognise different gifts and different callings and all of those things, but it's Jesus and the church. It is not, hey, this person's above me. No, no, the leaders in the church, the more you, the more you draw near to Christ, the more you take on the role of a servant. So he comes to the church in Lydda. And when he comes to the church in Lydda, it says he finds there a man named Aeneas who was paralysed for the last eight years. Paralysed for the last eight years. And he comes to him and he's like, Jesus Christ heals you. Make your bed, which means pick up your mat. You see, if you were, uh, if you were, lame or you were a paralysed person in Jewish culture, ancient Jewish culture, do you know what that meant for you? That meant you were a beggar. Do you know why it meant that? The reason it means that is because in that culture, in those days, if you had become disabled, it was actually viewed as a punishment for sin. It's why when the blind man, when in John 8, when Jesus heals the blind man and then the Pharisees start questioning him, he says, uh, they say to him, you are, who are you to lecture us? You are steeped in sin from birth. So the, the pervading idea is disability was punishment for sin. So in that culture, there wasn't a culture that someone suffered disability and therefore we take care of them and look after them. It's actually we, we, they looked at them and said, well, you're now gonna be on the margins of, of society. We're not gonna draw you into society. And so you might have some family and friends who were prepared to take care of you, but a big part of that care was to take you to a public place to put you on a mat or a bed so that you could beg for a living. 
And we see it all through the New Testament where Jesus encounters people in public places, often by the, the gates of, of the temple or by synagogues around, and he, would, and he would see them there because they're begging for their livelihood. And so Aeneas, if he's on a mat and he's in a public place, which he is, and we know that he's in a public place because after he's healed, it says the residents saw him. All of them, how did they see him? Because he's in a public place. It means his livelihood here, that he is a beggar. And yet the Gospel comes to him He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Pick up your mat, pick up your mat. And it says, immediately he rose. And then the people see it and it says, everyone. Now, I don't know if that means literally every single person in the town or if it's talking about a huge majority of the town got saved, but they saw it and the world got changed. Second story, Dorcas. This incredible woman who is, spends her days looking after widows, right? She's there like making clothes, making garments. She's obviously spent an enormous amount of time. She's dearly loved and she's passed away. And so the widows who she takes care of are weeping and mourning because when you have someone who is what it says, full of good works and charity, When you have someone like that in your community who loves you and cares for you, what happens when they die? We grieve them. Why? Come on, Hills Baptist, wake up. Why do we grieve them? Because we love them. We love them because they've loved us. When we're loved and we love in return, if we lose that person, we grieve them. And so they're grieving and the word goes, hey, Peter's around, let's go get him. And we do that, we wash, washed her body, they put her in the upper room, they laid her on that bed up there. And then Peter comes in and he, he follows what he's seen before in Christ. He puts everyone out, he bends on his knees, he prays, and then he looks at her after he gets the word and says, get up. And she rises from the dead. Radical, radical healing. And he takes her by the hand and he presents her back to the very people who were mourning for her. And then it says, so many people came to a living faith in Jesus because of this miracle. Two fascinating stories of the light of the gospel breaking in and changing people's lives. So what's the common thread? What's the lessons? What does God wanna show us? And here's what I wanna suggest to us. There's, there's a couple things in here about what it means for ministry, for all of us as ministers, because you're all a minister. You all have a call, to, if you're in Christ, to, to take the good news. There's two things about ministry. There's one thing about authority and there's one thing about identity. That's where we're going. Firstly, when we look at ministry, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, here's what I want you to see. The ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit is always, always miraculous, even when it seems mundane. Because in the midst of these two miraculous incredible stories. There's actually three other miracles that you'll miss if you don't look closely enough because they seem so mundane. With Aeneas and the healing of a paralytic man, which is incredible, it's radical. There's a a greater miracle. And that greater miracle is that when Peter comes, he comes to litter to the saints, to the church, it says there he found Aeneas. You didn't get it. Let me say it again. He comes to the church, which isn't a building, it's a group of people. And it says there in the church, he found Aeneas, the paralytic. Aeneas was a paralytic. 
someone who is pushed to the margins of society. It's not that he comes to Aeneas' family and finds him. He comes to the church and he finds him. Now, the Greek here is really interesting. It could mean one of two things. Found could mean he stumbled upon, or it could mean, and what I think when you read it in, its, in the Greek, with the tense, it actually could mean that he intentionally sought after him. That he was looking for him and he found him. Now, why do I think that? Because that's the picture of the gospel that, we're, that Luke's trying to communicate. That's what Christ does for us. It's not that he randomly stumbles across and goes, oh, look, a human being. No, no, he searches and seeks us out. And so Peter comes to the church and he searches and seeks out a man called Aeneas. Why do I also think that this is very intentional? Because he knows his name. It's not Aeneas that is crying out as Peter walks past him, as we've seen in other stories. It's not Aeneas that's saying, Peter, have mercy, you know, have mercy on me. Look at my plight. No, no, no. Peter comes to him and he goes, Aeneas, I know who you are. How does he know who he is? Church, someone's got to get more excited. How does he know who he is? Holy Spirit, or it is the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or it simply could be the mundane work of the Holy Spirit, which is he's gone to the church and there he found Aeneas because the church has embraced a paralytic and is loving him and is caring for his needs and is looking after him, even though he should be pushed to the margins of society in that culture. The church is the one who's laying out his mat and taking him to a place where he, yes, he's still begging, but they're looking after him. He's still got an opportunity to to have some money, but even if he doesn't get it, the, the inference is that the church is there caring for him. That is a miracle. That is the what the Holy Spirit does. That's part of the gospel light coming upon the church, is that we have a heart for the for the beggar. We have a heart for the poor. We have a heart for the marginalised. We have a heart for those who cannot fend for themselves and we take care. It's why we do something like missions, mate. So that our hearts would be for those who don't have what we have. That is not normal human behaviour. That is not, that is not natural selection. That's not Darwin evolutionary modelling. If it's survival of the fittest, we don't do that kind of thing. Look at ancient cultures. If a child was weak or sick, they left it out. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, no, no, we care. That is a miracle. It is a miraculous work of Holy Spirit. The other miracle that seems mundane, which you might miss, is that there's a lady with a strange name, Dorcas, who has spent her days looking after widows. It's easy to miss it because you read it and you're like, who cares that she made them jumpers? You know what I mean? Why are they crying over a garment, a jacket? Sure, it looks good, it's warm, brilliant. Guys, that is speaking to a profound reality that there is a woman who has spent her days caring for other women who have no one to care for them. They've lost their husbands. Women in that time did not work. If you lost your husband, you're in an awful lot of trouble. It's why the Bible speaks over and over and over about widows. The modern day single mum doing everything she can to look after a couple of kids or more. The Bible is has a, such a heart for the widow. And the miracle here is that God has stirred Dorcas's heart. <laughs> the gracious one. To gather, we don't know how many it is, but the, you get the impression it's a lot. That she's just got this heart, this big old heart, rallying people. Do you know what? She's a hero of the faith. It mentions her name because she is a hero of the faith operating in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. She's not preaching in front of thousands of people, but by God, I can't wait to meet her in heaven. 
because she has given her life to the service and the care of the broken. Those who have lost everything and have found hope through the loving hands of a gracious woman. Two miraculous works of the Holy Spirit, which if all you do is look for the signs and the wonders, you miss. But when you understand that the work of the Holy Spirit, yes, always supernatural, always, always supernatural, and sometimes absolutely like mind-bogglingly radical, but also sometimes just very real and gritty. Don't miss the miracle that the Holy Spirit is doing in our world and wants to do in your life. Don't sit there and go, well, you know, I, I don't pray for people and they get risen from the dead. Where's God in my life? Just maybe God wants to use you to help make someone's bed. To cook a meal. To visit someone in prison. It's all a miraculous work of the Spirit and all of it leads people to the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. So it's always a miracle. The work of the Holy Spirit's always a miracle, even when it seems mundane. The second thing I want us to see here about uh, ministry is this idea that what the work of the Holy Spirit, when the light of the Holy Spirit comes, He helps you to see beyond the veil. Do you know what I mean by that? He helps you to realise that it's not, it's not about the now, it's about eternity. And He gives you this picture here that these are two miraculous healings, right? Two incredible, miraculous healings. But for what end? For what purpose? The answer is in verse 35 and in verse 42. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. The purpose of a, of a physical healing, of a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit is so that we can have a testimony that will lead to transformation, church. So that the Gospel would go out the greater miracle here. Yes, healing, incredible. It's amazing. Yes, someone raised from the dead. It's unbelievable. But guess what? Dorcas died again. She did. Guess what? Aeneas died. He's not still alive. Physically, but spiritually he's with the risen Christ. And so is Dorcas. But because of their physical healing, because of the physical miracle that happened in that moment, thousands of millions of other people, billions of other people through the stories told in Scripture have faith in Christ and have gone from death to life because there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. It is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It speaks, every miracle is a prophetic voice speaking to a spiritual condition. Every miracle recognises the physical ailment. Pain shows us, we say this all the time, that something is broken. And so we see physical healings and we should pray for them and believe for it because it's a physical prophetic voice speaking to a deeper reality that I'm broken, that I'm a beggar, that I'm lost, that I'm dead in my sin. But in Christ, I can be healed and go from death to life. It helps us that the Holy Spirit will let you see through the veil. The healing of Dorcas wasn't for Dorcas. Do you get that? Church, picture it. Where's Dorcas? She's with Jesus. 
She's one minute, she's staring at the beautiful face of the risen Christ in glory. And then the next minute she's lying on on a bed looking up at Peter's ugly mug. I'm sure he was a handsome dude. Do you know what I'm saying? This isn't for Dorcas. This isn't for Dorcas. Who's it for? It's for the unbelievers. It's for the widows. Because it says the saints and widows, which means we can suggest that the widows weren't yet saints. But many believed. It's for the lost. This is what Paul talks about. You know, when he, when he says, oh, I desire to go and be with Christ, which is far better. But I'm resigned to the fact that for your sake, I'm gonna stay <laughs> and I'll keep ministering so that the gospel would continue to go out. Paul's intention and his desire, he longs to be with Christ. Church, do you long to be with Christ? Do you understand the glory that we're headed into? Do you understand that there is more to life than meets the eye in this moment? Do you look around and just go, there has to be more. I know there's people here in this room right now, I'm positive of it, where you, maybe you're not yet giving your life to Christ, but you're in a place, the reason you're here is because at some point you've looked around and goes, there has to be more. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a reason for life. Robin shared it. If there's evil, then there has to be good. There has, if there's right and wrong in the world, which we know that there is, if there's truth, which we know that there is, then that can only come by an external authority who sets it in place. And the proclamation is that Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. There is a God in heaven and He cares for you and He loves you and He's come for you. And we'd love to explain the gospel, the the, the fullness of the gospel more, but there is hope. There is an eternal reality. He loves you. He's for you. And He longs to have relationship with you. If we live with eternity in our hearts and in our minds, if we see the world through an eternal lens, it changes the way we live in the physical lens. We no longer just live for the now, we live for the not yet. I love chatting with, with Brian Ambrose, who many of you know, who's a, he's an anaesthetist in our church. I was chatting with him the other day and he was saying he had this big day where there was lots of surgeries and, and a whole bunch of people who were on their deathbed got well. And I said, oh, so you're just in the business of saving lives. Do you know what he said to me? He goes, no, no, I can't save anybody's life. I can just prolong it. That deserved more than a mm. <laughs> Do you know what I, I said? Oh, Brian, that is good. I can't save anybody's life. I can just prolong it. Jesus is the only one who can save a life. I can't fix anybody. Only Jesus can fix the issue of sin and death. Only Jesus. And He has. And every physical healing is a prophetic voice declaring the reality of the eternal healing that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we pray for healing. We believe for healing. We believe for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, changing lives. Why? so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that you are dead in your sin and transgression, but by the mercy of God, you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. That many would turn to the Lord. Amen? Now, let's talk now. We'll keep moving. Let's look at authority. So that's to do with ministry. Let's look at authority. Notice what Peter says. Peter said to him, Aeneas, verse 34, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. So he didn't say, I heal you. Or he didn't say, be healed. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. Notice with Dorcas, the model. This is literally the exact same steps that Jesus used 
with a lady whose name wasn't Tabitha, but Talitha. A little girl who are dead. What does Jesus do? He walks in, he puts everybody out, he prays, and then he says, Tabitha Kumi, or little girl, get up. What does Peter do? He walks in, he puts everybody out, he prays, and he says, Talitha, get up. Whose authority is he operating in? the authority of Jesus Christ. Church, we gotta understand if you're in Christ, you have authority. You have power to declare the good news. And it is not your power, it's the power of Holy Spirit moving in and through you to draw people to Him. There is an authority. And I love this. I love that it begins with this posture of prayer. Don't ever forget the power of prayer. There's this incredible story. I love the story. Who knows a guy called Charles Spurgeon? Known as the Prince of Preachers. Used to minister at a a place called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It's incredible building, incredible church. Thousands of people would come to hear the Prince of Preachers preach this eloquent, the golden tongue as he would declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's this awesome story where these people are sitting on a weekday at the gates of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And that the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the doors were shut and locked and they're waiting there and they're banging on the door because they wanna see Spurgeon. They wanna have a moment with the Prince. And so they're there like, oh, knocking along, can we get in? And some dude comes along and depending what account you read, some people say that it was Spurgeon himself, others say it was someone else, but he came along and he said, what are you looking for? And they said, oh, we wanna meet, like we wanna meet the, the Prince of Preachers. Like we wanna, we wanna spend time with Spurge. I don't know, they wouldn't have called him Spurge, but. <laughs> and so what he does is he opens the door and he brings him inside and he says, hey, he goes, can I take you to the heating room? These guys are like, sure, <laughs> bring us on a tour of Metropolitan Tabernacle. He goes, let me, let me take you to the heating room. And they go right down, they walk downstairs and stairs, right down to the bowels of the church. And they open a door and in that room are hundreds of people on their knees praying. And he said, this is the room that heats this church. Oh, it's so good. Do you know what he's saying? He goes, it's not about Spurgeon. Yes, he's a good communicator, but the work of the Holy Spirit is not, it's not him. It's his work and that work is moving because there are people who recognise the authority of Jesus Christ, not the authority of a good preacher and they're on their knees and they're praying and they are seeking first the kingdom and they are believing for a mighty move of God. And that is the room that heats the church. That is where revivals start. That is what fuels a move of the Holy Spirit. At church, we need to be a people who recognise our authority in Christ, but get on our knees and and long for Him to come and do His work. We have a prayer meeting at 8.15 every Sunday morning in that room right there. And I'm gonna be honest with you, there are times when there's two of us up there and that concerns me. Because that room should be filled with people getting on their knees, seeking God, saying, God, do a move in our generation. Do a move in the Adelaide Hills. We should have life groups where people are on their knees praying every opportunity in our own lives. Are we praying? Are we seeking His face? Because if we are not seeking His face and we are just relying on our own gifting and our own calling, this will die out but the move of God will never be stopped. It's about the authority of Jesus Christ to change lives, not our own. Church, can I invite you into prayer? Every one of us to get on our knees and to recognise that He's the one who builds His church. He is the one who transforms lives. He is the one who interrupts with a beaming light to wake people from death to life. It is Him and Him alone. We simply have the privilege of being a vessel through which He works. 
Let's get on our knees. Let's pray. Let's believe for a mighty move of God. Peter actually wasn't that special. Do you know that? The Pharisees looked at him and were like, you're an ordinary, unschooled bloke. You're good at fishing, bro. But you're not who we are. You don't have the training. You don't have the skill set. You don't have the oratory capacity. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he had followed Christ who modelled the life of prayer. The man who would always, even when he didn't even need to because he was God, but he would get on his knees. He would go to quiet places. He would pray so that he was operating in the, the authority that God had given him. And Peter modelled that life. With Dorcas, he clears house, he gets on his knees, he prays. And when the word comes, it says he turns to the body. So it's like he was away from the body. Didn't want that to dampen his faith almost. He's like, I'm gonna pray. And then the word comes and he turns and he says, get up. And up she gets. And the world is changed. The last point, Laura, you can come up and we're gonna close in a second. But the last point has to do with our identity. Notice what he says. How are we going, church? You all right? Notice what he says. Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and what? Make your bed. Another way of saying, pick up your mat. Notice with Dorcas. Get up. And Dorcas doesn't keep lying there on her deathbed. What does she do? She sits up. We have to be very careful, church, because what can happen is we can come into the life of Christ. We can receive Jesus as Lord, but we can keep laying on our mat. And I feel real strongly that the Lord wants to say to you, don't carry what He's told you to discard. When we come to Christ, it says the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus by faith in Him, by grace through faith. We enter a new day. The blinds of heaven are opened it's a new day. You go to bed with a cross, you wake up with an empty tomb. Put to death the old nature and walk in the new. Far too many Christian people, far too many people who profess faith in Jesus Christ are carrying their mat, are still lying on their mat. They're still living in the old ways and allowing the old ways to inform the way that they're living their life now. He says, no, 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 pick up your mat. Make your bed. I'm calling you out of that. That is no longer the thing that defines you. That's no longer the stuff that defines you. It's a new day. Amen? It's a new day. It's time to move forward. Don't spend your life looking over your shoulder thinking, oh, when's it gonna get me again? Aeneas could have spent the whole time being like, well, God's healed me, but did He really? I just better be, maybe I'll just lie back down because this is the life I've known for eight years and this is to be quite frankly, much easier. Much, much easier. than it is to get up, make your bed and walk in the newness of life that He has bought for you. Can I say something? Church, I need you to pray for me. In two weeks time, we're gonna begin a series 
which I'm calling Reclaiming the Rainbow. And we're gonna spend five weeks. It's been burning on my heart. We're gonna spend five weeks and we're gonna look at the difference between pride and promise. And we're not here to attack, but we are here to speak truth. We have an entire world who's basing its identity in its sexuality, in its gender, in its job, in its social hierarchy, the number of followers it has on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media thing I'm not cool enough to know about. We are placing our security in the substance of things around us when our security and our identity has been bought for us by the blood of Jesus. Your identity is not in what you do or what you feel. Your identity is in what He's done. Finished, full stop. The blood covers everything. And when you come into the precious blood of Jesus, when the curtains are opened and the light comes in and you realise who you are, saint, you're not what you've done. It's a new day. You're a saint. You're a saint. This passage starts that He visited the saints, and then it finishes calling the saints. You're a saint. If you have accepted Jesus as Lord, you're a saint. Live in that reality. Pick up your mat. Pick it up. Roll it up. It's time to be done with the old way of life. It's time to recognise, no, that's not who you are. You are who He says you are. You have been bought. You have been set free. The chains have been broken by the blood of Jesus. His sacrifice is enough. It covers everything. The truth sets you free. The Son sets you free to walk in freedom, to walk in joy to walk in fullness of life, to go and if God's calling you to to love the widows, love the widows. If He's calling you to go and care for the, the, the beggar, care for the beggar, He's calling all of us to do that. Because the reality is, friends, that's who we all were at one point. We're all lost. We're all broken. We're all beggars at one point or another. And yet by the precious blood of Jesus, He has come that we might be saints, that we might go from death to life, that we might be raised up and seated with Christ on high. Do you understand that? It says that even angels long to look in on these things. You are created in the image of of God Himself, fearfully and wonderfully made, not an accident. That's not who you are. You are created, fashioned, Moulded by the hand of the living God before a word is on your tongue. He knows it completely. He knows you. He loves you. He is for you. And He saved you for a purpose that you might go and you might declare the testimony of what He has done that others would come into the same living, incredible hope that we have in Him. Pick up your mat. Walk in freedom. Church, let's stand to our feet. Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. 
My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to create some space. for ministry, for a few things. There's people here who need a healing. You need a healing. Whether that be physical or emotional, you need a healing. You need a breakthrough. Jesus is in the business of setting people free. I'm believing today for healing to be there for you so that you can go and declare the testimony of His goodness to others. If that's you, as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come. Can we have our our elders, staff, um, intercessors to come forward, ready to pray? There's healing in Jesus' name. Secondly, if you're here and you have not given your life to Jesus, if you're still you know that there's more to life, but you've not stepped from darkness to light. You're like, oh, I want this freedom that He talks about. I know there's more. I wanna know this Jesus. We would love to pray with you, to give you a Bible, to introduce you to Jesus. Because He's so, so good. So come, we'd love to pray with you. And just thirdly, I feel like if if you're here or there's people in your lives who you've been praying for, who you love dearly, who are stuck on their mat, uh, yeah, stuck on your mat, you've heard the gospel, like you know that there's, there's this hope in Jesus, but you're not experiencing that hope in your own life. You're stuck the old way it's, and you want to pick up that mat and get on with it we would love to pray with you come we'd love to pray with you believing that the light will come in and set you free so we've got team to pray all around the room just come come boldly and say Lord let's pray Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The light that pierces the darkness to bring the light of life. We thank you that you have given us of your spirit, your light, that we might become light bearers. Holy Spirit, come. Fill your church. Bless your church. Empower your church to go and be all that you have called us to be. Come set us on fire, Lord. Change lives even now. Take people everyone here. No matter where we are, whether we're like Paul screaming against the church or whether we're like Peter seeking out Aeneas. by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus.
bless you, Lord. saying well done keep running keep running he's got you yeah be strong and courageous be strong and courageous it's easy to become despairing but he has you and he's put you in this family this community to be there to wrap you up to help you run that race to help you raise those kids that they might be strong someone who meant so much to you and it's been a really hard journey and it's a really difficult uh, there's good days, there's bad days it's hard to get up, it's hard to move on I sense the Lord just wanting to bring peace Lord we just pray for the broken (laughs) those suffering grief right now the mourning we declare peace in the inner being that even in the loss, there would be a great sense of hope, that even in the loss, today there'd be a new page turned and there would be joy, that even in the loss, today there'd be a day where they see through the veil and they understand that this life is but a speck, but that you are eternal and that you have them in the palm of your hand and that they will celebrate again on that great and mighty last day when we come together at the wedding feast of Jesus and we proclaim the praises of His glory. We realise how, how wonderful eternity that You have prepared for us is. Yeah, healing, Lord, joy, Lord, peace, Lord, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for those, uh, just one last one before we, we sing. And for, for those parents in the room, especially whose children are living a lifestyle that is so far removed from the life you'd prayed for them and believed for them, 
here's the encouragement. Don't stop praying. Don't give up on the power of prayer. You never know. As we said for, no one is too far gone. No one is out of reach from the sovereign hand of God. No one is too far gone from the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether it's a Damascus Road moment or whether it's a Dorcas moment, you never know. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Yeah, for the God who is able to do immeasurably and abundantly more than all we hoped or imagined. Guess what? It says He is faithful and He is faithful to finish the the work that He began. Don't give up. Don't give up. Oh, I just wanna, I don't know, it's really heavy. I wanna encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Be encouraged today. For the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And if you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus. So church, we're gonna sing and as we sing, if you'd like prayer, please come. We'd love to pray with you. Please come. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.